Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cuddehy, as I look back and have a listen to some of the highlights from previous shows throughout the year. In this episode, Danny Garavelli, Joe Donnelly, Nicholas Smith, Danny Scott, Jane Hamilton and Thomas Quinn all talk about their favourite book from childhood. And the first question I always ask people is the favourite book from childhood. We're kind of going to go sort of 2019 Booker Prize here, but we're going to split it the award between two yeah. books. Because <laughs> I know you asked me, and obviously it's, if, if you can't choose one, it's fine to choose two. There was two <laughs> books in particular that you chose. It was Carrie's War um, by Nina Bodden and Marianne Dreams by Catherine Storr. Yes. I mean, I, I'd, I'd got it down to ten and at <laughs> some point the date night before you asked me to finalise it. Um, so shall I start with Carrie's War then, yeah? Yep. So Carrie's War, um, I absolutely adored when I was young. Um, I was quite fixated on it and it's about, essentially it's about these two a brother and sister who uh, were evacuated during the war, and um, it's fictional. And that's quite a common theme, obviously, but what makes this different is that they go to this a, a tiny Welsh village, and I think that that was kind of exotic to me, the idea that they, they, all, they had wonderful names, like Druid's Bottom was the place where one of them stayed, and one of the characters is called Hepzibah Green, and so there were names and, and, and um, places that were completely unfamiliar to me. But it's also um, interesting because it's quite insular they, uh, and dark. Because when they go there, it's not all it's you know it's not all the fun of being evacuated. There's quite a lot of darkness in it, and it centres on in this place called Druid's Bottom. There's this mysterious skull, and there's a curse around it. She's told that there's a curse. Carrie, the main character, is told that there's a curse, and if she take if the skull ever leaves Druid's Bottom, something terrible will happen. So. It's very complicated, but there's an argument and she's angry and she throws the skull down a well. And honestly, I can still remember how I felt when she she throws the skull down the well. And then um, at the end, as they move somewhere else, they leave and they see Druid's Bottoms on fire. And for most of the rest of her life, she thinks she's responsible for burning down Druid's Bottom. And I think that 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 idea that you could do something irrevocable, that you could that you'd never be forgiven for, just almost in a fit of peak or, or almost inadvertently. It's just kind of hit home with me when I was a child, so definitely. And what age would you have been when, when you first read that? Less than ten. Eight, nine maybe, something like that. Because yeah. I always wonder if you if you gone back and revisited it as at various stages of your life and, and to see whether it still has the same impact on you. Yeah, well I've read it I read it to my kids and one of the great sadnesses for, for me is for none of my kids liked it. None of them thought it was <laughs> none of them thought it was That's nearly as exciting. <laughs> it was absolutely devastating. And I began to learn as I read to my kids not to invest too much in it because they quite often didn't like I suppose things date and um and they said not much happened in it, but I thought I thought it was I thought that that moment of like of that recognition of what you'd done was like so powerful that it just obviously didn't translate to them. I suppose it's that idea of you know like sometimes you'll rec- recommend a book to someone, particularly a book that you really love, and I'm quite guilty of almost judging people if they come back to me and say, "Man, I don't really like it," and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. "Why? Why not?" Yes, you just want to you just want to like. <laughs> keep talking to them until they've changed their minds, wear them down until they've changed their minds. I suppose the other side of that is, do you ever feel, you know, if somebody says to you, you should really read this, I, I love the book, there's a pressure on you then for the same reason, if you read a book and somebody else tells you it had such an impact and you read it and it doesn't have the same impact on you and you don't want to tell someone because you'll 
they disappoint them. Yeah, I probably wouldn't tell them to be honest. <laughs> I probably lie. But I think mostly if people have, you, you know, people's tastes before you, if you talk about books a lot before yeah. you, and so if it was somebody who's taste I, I normally I normally liked I would make, go the extra mile to try and see what they'd seen in it I think probably you know try and understand what it was they got out of it and I think people as well some people might recognise the name of the book from because there was a TV series in particular that I think people watched it maybe I don't know if it was maybe yeah no no the there was a series yeah. I mean I don't really remember the series that well but there definitely was a series afterwards yes people I mean I think it was pretty well known at the time wasn't it I think it got a subsequent I think it didn't get any awards at the time and then it subsequently got a Phoenix Award for being recognised as a book that had been overlooked at the time and, and was actually much more important or, or a greater quality than had been appreciated or now, I mentioned that you'd already broken the rules of the podcast, so <laughs> I, everything's up in the air. But the, the other book that you had chosen was uh, Marianne Dreams by Catherine Storm. What, what was it about that book? Well, that book is has a much vaguer thing in my mind, but it's the atmosphere of it. It, it just, it, you know, I, I would dream about it. it so she uh, was an invalid, this week, girl, Marianne, she's an invalid, and she draws in her in her bed because she's not allowed out. So there's again, there's this feeling of claustrophobia about it. And when she draws what she draws comes real in her dream. So she draws a house and then she draws a picture of a little boy in it. And the boy is a real boy, but she never meets him except in her dream. He's also an invalid somewhere else. But every time she gets angry, so she'll, she'll, she gets angry at the boy in the dream and then the next day she draws bars over his window and the thing I remember most is boulders with sinister eyes in it so that they watch, but she can't rub it out, so that's there forever. But it was more the quality of darkness. It's kind of had a gothic feel to it. And I think I was very young when I read that. And so I found it quite scary and that kind of stayed with me. For the basis of the, the, the podcast, of course, I, I just ask people the same, it's the same five questions. And obviously what's great about it is you get so many different answers because everybody's got different tastes in, in books going back to their childhood and the first first question I, I ask is is what was your your favorite book from childhood and, and the one you've given is, is something I wasn't familiar with yeah it's um it's called the Stonecutter. it was part of a collection of children's books I think it was the puffin collection of children's stories for five-year-olds or something it was something that my dad read to me and one of the stories within that collection is called the Stonecutter. it's essentially about a stonecutter who it gets fed up in the kind of the grind of ninety five life and sees other people and other beings in, in his kind of day to day. And at first, the stonecutter sees he's kind of toiling away and he's working away in the sun. And it kind of the, the, the story challenges the kind of idea of class and social movement and stuff like that, but broken down so that it can be understood by five year olds. And the stonecutter first sees a rich man and he he kind of wishes aloud that he wants to live that lifestyle, and a mountain spirit grants him that. So he's got this wealth and he lives in this lovely big house and then he um, is still struggling in the heat so he sees a, a prince with servants who are fanning him down and then he wishes for that. Mountain Spirit duly grants that as well. But still, even with all the money, you know, he's not impervious to the heat so he said he wants to be the sun himself and the Mountain Spirit grants that. So all of a sudden he's the sun baking down. But then the clouds, you know, stop him from being able to warm up the land so he wants to be the clouds next because that's the next obstacle which he sees it's kind of a careful what you wish for thing and then the clouds if you really kind of gets a bit power mad and floods the world below the only thing that's devastating the place villages towns they all get wrecked and and the only thing which he can't move is this big rock so he goes i want to be this rock and then the the mountain spirit grants him that and then sure enough it goes full circle 
you know, the rock is this this you know unmovable object, and suddenly a stone cutter is chipping away at the rock, and he wishes that he could be the stone cutter again, and makes you kind of think about yeah your place and in the world and what is true happiness and all that kind of stuff, which I probably didn't appreciate at the time when I was only five. But I like the story, and it's something which has always stuck with me. And then when I read about it when I got a bit older, it's something that yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a really cool it's a really cool story. You think you know you're saying your your dad read it to you? Was the, the political message or whatever that would that appeal to him? And even though, as you say, at five years old, it's just the story, but he's maybe wanting to just embed those things into you from a very young age. I think that's fair enough, yeah. My, my dad is, is pretty political. I think, similarly, when people talk about jokes in Shrek, for example, uh, people that have got kids, they can put Shrek on, and, and there's jokes that are definitely aimed at adults that aren't necessarily picked up by the kids, but they love the cartoon. I think that's a definite example of it, that, yeah, my dad is quite uh, politically in tune, and he was wanting to tell a story which may or may not stick with me. It turns out it did. Uh, but yeah, I probably didn't grasp all the, the profound themes that, that it explores, but he definitely would have enjoyed it and passed it on to me, so yeah. And is it something that you then, in turn, want to... Is that, that that kind of story, or that story in particular, want to pass on to your daughter? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I don't know that I see eye to eye with everything uh, politically with my dad, uh, as much as he would hate to hear that. But I think I've taken on a lot of the, the traits that he did, and yeah, I'd like to pass that on to Lily, as I say, like, I think the kind of be careful what you wish for thing is something which applies in life generally, and it's really simplified in this story, but um, no, I mean, it's something which has stuck with me, and I would absolutely pass that on to my daughter when she's old enough to, to listen. And was it something, when you're grown up, obviously you know, your dad's got this idea of maybe a political story, but was there a lot of books in the house? Did your dad read to mum and dad read to you a lot? Yeah, they used to read to me every night. Um, my dad read Treasure Island to me at one point, actually, um, when I was a wee bit older than five. And I went back and read it. Um, obviously, it's, a, it's a, a classic, a timeless classic, but I probably enjoyed it more when I was having it read to me. Right. Uh, strangely, um, and it's no surprise that I consume books via Audible now, um, although not sponsored by this podcast, <laughs> uh, or vice versa. But part of it would have been about just having my dad and my mum there reading to me, I think. Um, I think that's really important. Like my girlfriend and I try and do that with my daughter every every night. She's only 15 months at the moment, but to read to her is a kind of family event as well. And obviously getting her used to reading books at a young age. And I think that, yeah, when I went back and read Treasure Island for all is obviously a fantastic story. I probably enjoyed it more the first time because there was that bond in my mum and dad as well. Because that's quite a, unless it was a kind of children's version, I mean, that's quite a, that'd be heavy going, if you, especially if your dad had been working all day and then he's like, oh, I've got to read another chapter to you. Yeah, that was that. I mean, the, especially with Treasure Island, I was absolutely terrified of the black spot when I was only seven <laughs> or eight years old or something. Um, I was terrified that I would be in the playground one day and notice this thing on my hand. But yeah, I mean, it was, it's a pretty, a pretty, heavy going book I probably was more into reading then uh, and then through my kind of teenage years fell out of it a little bit and then as I've I'm now 33 like more and more into reading again as I kind of grew up but no it was great to, to learn some of the kind of literary class, classics excuse me when I was younger and obviously having that bonding with my parents as well The book that you've chosen is a book called The Ultimate Trainers by Paul Shipton. Yeah, my uncle Alistair, who lives down in Chester, he, for my brother and I's birthdays every year, he would put a book in with the card. So whenever you, you heard the thump coming through the letterbox, you knew that Uncle Alistair had sent you your birthday book. And that was one that he had sent me. And I remember just thinking it was just the best story I'd ever read. And I remember thinking it was so good that I recommended that my gran read it. And she's in her 70s, like, you have to read this, gran. It's the most sensational book in the world. <laughs> 
But I just, I loved it. It was to do with, there's the character, I think it's called Jake, and he finds this pair of brand new trainers in the bin, but the absolutely sparkling, beautiful brand new trainers. And he pulls them on and suddenly can run really fast. He does cross country, he's winning races finally. And then something happens along the way where pretty sure there's aliens or some kind of sea, like FBI agents come in and take the trainers away. And then there's biggest rival steals the trainers and runs as well. But I just remember thinking it was just the best book. The story just took me away. It was brilliant. And what age would you have been when you read that book? I must have been maybe eight or nine or maybe younger. No, I must have been like eight, eight or nine, I'm thinking, yeah. Because when I was just looking, I wasn't familiar with the book, but when I was just kind of checking up on it, and it seems to be part of it was a thing called the Treetop series, which yeah, uh-huh. I think there was like hundreds of them, and they seem to be kind of obviously to geared towards encouraging kids to read, but with an, an educational and an entertainment value to them as well, and obviously the fact that you still remember that book, it's done yeah. its job. Uh, well, I was trying to look it up and it kept saying released in 2014. I thought there's no way that can be right because that was only <laughs> how many years ago, six years ago. But they must have re-released it with other I think, ones. But yeah, I think so it was originally yeah. 1997 it was first published. Oh, right. That would have been seven or eight then, yeah. Because I, again, I, and I, I wasn't familiar with him as an author, but I think he's made his name writing a lot of kids' books, but, you know, with that tying it in with that educational idea. But, I mean, I, I like that idea of, you know, one of your relatives Again, just as a kind of subtle way of encouraging you, you know, but equating it with with birthdays and, you know, it becomes a big thing then. It's like a gift, but also it's something that you want to then read. Mm -hmm. It was nice because quite often family would maybe just give my mum money and then we'd go out and choose something in a toy shop. But that was definitely the highlight. And my uncle always signed it from himself and his dog and drew the paw print. So it was all these little things (laughs) that just kind of stuck with me. It was always really good because I don't know how he just must have found a book that was thin enough to jam it in with an envelope because it didn't come separately. It came with the card. And as a kid, the card goes out the way didn't yeah. care about that it was just straight into the book but it was a really nice thing he did and it's something that I've remembered and it was something that I think is really nice maybe for me to start doing with younger relatives to just shove a book in with it rather than some plastic toy that's going to end up in the bin did you keep the the books that he, he sent year after yeah year? yeah they'll still all be at my mum's somewhere whenever she's shoved them in a box under the bed or something but yeah they'll definitely still be there so that's quite a nice thing as well, again, just to keep and I suppose, you know, you know, you do look through them, it's kind of taking you back, those childhood memories. Yeah, uh-huh. I used to really love Jacqueline Wilson books as well. And I was so angry that I donated the Girls in Love series because I think something came up and I thought, oh, I really want to read that. Because I know I would have got through it in a day. I was so upset that I donated them. Like, that's it. Never again. I'm never giving books away again. <laughs> My younger ones anyway. should say when you sent me through your choices it was almost like a wee disclaimer saying as soon as I've sent these I'm not want to change them but I, I think that's the nature of this as soon as you've made the choices you want to you want to choose something else but the one that you've chosen for this category is Danny Champion of the World by Roald Dahl. Yeah this is one that probably wouldn't change this is for me the perfect children's book and it's one as a Danny myself that uh, I took my name from I think it was my dad's choice and he told the story of when I was born he ran out from the hospital, I think it was still in Marchment or some, no, it was Simpsons by the Meadows. And he ran to the nearest bookshop and bought my mum a copy of Danny Champion of the World and gave it to her to read as she was recovering from, from childbirth. Because he said, this is, this is why I wanted this name. He was, my dad was an English teacher and uh, so he, books were quite important to him too. That's incredible, I mean, that is, that's incredible actually that you're, you're actually named. So, so obviously you would have no other choice for this category but that book. Yeah, but I just, I think, on many levels, it is it's quite a unique book in 
that it depicts a father-son relationship. I can't think of many children's books that have that at their heart. Quite often children's books, the, a lot of the drama intention is born from the children being out on their own and the parents aren't there. They aren't present. Uh, the only exceptions to that may be the Moomins, which are one happily fam- happy family, but all the other ones are the children are sort of set forth into the world, were orphaned or their parents are lost or they become lost themselves, like Harry Potter's taken out and has to fend for himself in this new world. But in Danny Champion of the World, the central relationship is that between Danny and his father, and that really struck a chord with me from quite a young age, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm guessing that part of your that love of books, then the fact that your dad is an English teacher, the fact that you're, you're named after an old Dal book, was it just something that you grew up with this in, in a house of books and, and, you know, reading was obviously so much, you know, part and parcel of family life? It was until I became a teenager, yes. We were definitely encouraged to read and my dad uh, was always trying to find the books that we'd like. Um, and it, it was, I like Diggers, Truckers and Wings and Choose Your Own Adventure books and the Dick King Smith books. They were a big factor, but it was the Roald Dahl books that really stood out. And I think, because I was really close to my dad as a boy, so I think that Danny the Champion of the World was, there's something about that book that really that, that really appealed. I fell off the, the reading wagon when I got to high school. I became a reluctant reader then, but that experience maybe helped me more, become more sympathetic as an adult towards children and teenagers going through that. And my dad did despair at that. He did despair. I suppose um, if you've, as long as you've got that foundation, it's, you, you'll go back to it. Yeah, and I've said that to parents since that they said, "Oh, I can't, my daughter shall read and read and read, but my son just won't read, or I can't get my teenagers to read." And I said, did, "Well, did they like books at primary school? Did they like it as a child?" And they said, "Yes." Said, oh, they'll find their way back. They'll find their way back. Because it's just funny again. I'll not go through this story again in the podcast because everybody that listens regularly have probably heard it about my son who's in his twenties now and he doesn't read books at all. But he never did really, even when when he was wee. You know, whether hail rain or shine, he just wanted to go out and play football. He wanted to go out and play with his pals. And he never, he just never really engaged with books the way that one of my daughters did. You know, there's, there's a house full of books and he may at some point turn to them. He may not. I, 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 you know, I'm okay with it either way. Yeah, he just needs to fall in love with someone who loves books. That's, that's what you need. Well, I have he'll, said that before. It'll be, it'll be trying to impress someone. That, that, that usually is a big motivating factor, yeah. terms of your childhood read and again this is the the first of the five difficult questions I posed to you and that was your favourite book from childhood and in the end the one well it was the famous five series Lighting books and the one that you chose if you had to choose one was the very first of of the series five on Treasure Island what was it about those books that that made you choose them? They appealed to my sense of adventure. Now, I'm aware of the controversy surrounding Enid Blyton nowadays because obviously her books are perceived as being very, you know, racist and um, class. I just, I don't buy into any of it because when I was six and seven reading those books, for me, it was the adventures that those children were going on and the fact that this girl wanted to be a boy really appealed to me because I wasn't a typical pink and bows and princessy type child you know I like 
I liked the, the fact that those kids were going off and having all those adventures with their dog and solving all those mysteries. And even though sometimes the book spooked me at times, you know, I got frightened when they said that, you know, the, the man was coming into the cave with them and things like that. And of course, I'm only on six or seven and I'm thinking, oh my, my goodness, there's a bad man coming. But it, I wasn't frightened enough to stop reading. And I think because I was being brought up with my grandparents and also there was 10 of us living in the house and I was the youngest, obviously, my aunties and my uncles all lived there too. But they were all older and you know out going to parties and disco so I was the youngest and I used to just imagine that it was all of us you know I was I was George the main girl and you know my one of my uncles was uh, Julian and I like to think of the food the descriptions of the food the picnics that she you know because we're, we're talking about you know mid-70s money wasn't money was tight so you're reading these books where these kids are having those fantastic picnics and the descriptions was just, I don't know, I think it just made me wish that I was one of the famous five. I read every single book, every single one, and each one was as good as the last one, but I always went back to Treasure Island over and over and over. Because I think there's 22 books in the series. And again, when just before we, we were recording this, I was just checking. And she, she has sold, I think to date, about 600 million copies of her books. Wow. Which is just extraordinary. And I always remember, because I always remember reading The Secret Seven and Famous Five. And you know that, I, again, just talking about that idea of you find that love of books. But even as children, when it's a series of books and, you know, you maybe, as you say, maybe get three out of the library, you read the first three, and then you want to go back and read the next three. And it's, it just captivates you and you want to find out the next adventure, what happens, what happens. And, and that's, yeah. that's the beauty because then you're hooked from then. I remember the only, as I got a bit older and getting through the book, I remember getting annoyed that they didn't seem to be growing up like me. They weren't getting any older. And that started to annoy me. I think I was probably about 11, 12 when I started to think they're not getting any older. And I moved on to other teenage books. I remember feeling annoyed and frustrated at the time that George wasn't getting any older and she wasn't becoming a boy. And, you know, it didn't have any connotations for me, you know, about gender or anything like that. It was just to me as a six-year-old child, this little girl wanted to be a boy and I wanted to follow her on that journey. And as, as the book went on, it, the books went on, it never, nothing ever changed. You know, she stayed the same. She was frustrated. She wanted to be a boy and she wanted to identify as a boy and everybody accepted that but she never got any older and that I remember that being an eternal source of frustration however it didn't diminish my enthusiasm for them Now, some of the previous guests have, have maybe had to really search the depths of their memory to yeah, find no, out. Yeah, it's quite recent. Obviously, for you, it's it's, it's not such a, a long journey back. And the book that you've chosen is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. It's a book that I actually I finished really young. Like I said, I started reading really young, and I finished this book when I was seven on a caravan holiday in Cornwall. And just Harry Potter in general was kind of my end to reading. I read the Harry Potter books and. They really got me excited about reading it. It was obviously the first kind of series that I'd read, but it was also the first series that kind of caught me. And even up to a couple of years ago, there's a whole kind of fan community around Harry Potter of people who grew up with these books or even with the movies. And there's a massive depth of knowledge, even outside the books, whether or not you agree with 
some of the things that J.K. Rowling's come out with since about it. There's just so much to delve into, even outside of the books of Harry Potter, with new movies or even... I read Harry Potter, I read The Seven, then a couple of years later she released some books from inside the series, like she released a couple of textbooks from it, like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and even children's books from inside that world, and it was just fascinating to me that this world that obviously doesn't really exist, but almost felt as complicated and interesting and complex really as the world we live in. It was just fascinating that you could create that world just outside of one person's head. Now, the, the book you've chosen, The Deathly Hallows, is that the last book? Yeah, in the that series? was the finale, yeah. And it, what I always noticed in the books, and again, you know, Rebecca, your cousin in particular, that was, again, that was her into books. And with each passing book, obviously, they become more, as you say, complex, but also even just in terms of the number of pages that are big don't yeah, stop a uh-huh, book. So for yeah. you to be reading a book that's over 600 pages long at yeah. the age of seven, I mean, that is, that is quite impressive. Thank you very much. Um, but <laughs> Your no, dad think, told me to say that. <laughs> no, I think they also got a lot darker as it went on. Like The first one, looking back and reading it again, it would work as a standalone book because it's just kind of this fun... It's a children's book, really. It's about magic spells and they stop the bad guy coming back. But as it goes on, it starts like serious dies in book five. And it... Sorry for the spoiler, MJ, it's not a book. <laughs> yeah, five. sorry for spoilers for <laughs> Harry Potter from 20 years ago, but that will continue. But as it goes on, characters that you've grown to love start dying, and it goes from this kind of happy-go-lucky children's book, the second book's got a flying car, how funny is that, to the seventh book has an orphan child in it because his parents die in the war. But that's quite, for somebody who's quite young, that's... They're, they're, they're quite sophisticated yeah, themes and storylines to deal with. Yeah, and I don't think I dealt with them at first, but going back and I reread the Harry Potter books about 20 times, but a couple of years later I read this book again, and it's the first time I cried at a book, because there's a scene where they very graphically kind of describe Voldemort killing Harry Potter's parents, and I cried at that, and I had nightmares about it. I had nightmares of like Voldemort opening my gate on Rye Hill Road, and come in and kill my parents. And it was the first book that had emotionally affected me like that. Because I always I wonder as well, and it's maybe a question that I should ask your mum and dad about, because I always remember, when, as I say, when Rebecca was reading the books, at first you're thinking, so she's, she's reading the books, she's, she's reading all the words, but is she taking in the storylines and what's going on? And then actually when we were just asking her different questions, she was, and I'm guessing the same thing. Your mum and dad were probably thinking, right, you can read all the words, but... How you get the story, and the very fact that that story affects you like that yeah. obviously yeah, had absolutely. an impact on yeah. you. And even like I read, reread them about a million times. I can't do it as well now, but there was a point a few years ago where if you asked me for any Harry Potter fact from the books, I'd spit it right back at you. Like what Parvati Patil's sister was called, or <laughs> why she was so scared of Professor Trelawney in book three, and I could like throw it right back at you. I, that's what I I love. I mean, you kind of touched on like J.K. Rowling there, and, and obviously people have different opinions, for example, on her politics and what have you, that's fine, but I just love that, the, what she created that world, but also I think what she did for anybody, any parent who has children from your age upwards for about 10, 15 years period, they absolutely love those books, and, yeah. that, and it has given you that, what I think is a lifelong love of books. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a book that I read with my parents, and all three of us enjoyed it. Even Matthew started reading them a couple of years ago and he's he's enjoyed them as well. He's just not as kind of 
avidly reading them as, as I was, but my mum and dad read those books with me, and the fact that a book could appeal to me at six and my parents in their 30s, that was fascinating as well. And where do you stand on the film adaptations of the books? They vary in quality. I think Half-Blood Prince is probably my favourite of the movie adaptations because it managed to capture the kind of the teenagerness of book six quite well, where it is just this kind of like confusing Harry and Ron are getting girlfriends and don't really know what to do with that information. It captures that quite well, I think, and I don't like the fifth movie at all. And I think it's because the fifth movie and the first part of the last book adaptation, because they condense too much of the books. Like, book five is a fantastic book, but it's really long, so in order to cut it into, like, a two-hour movie, they dropped massive passages from it, and I don't like when movies do that, I think. As much as you can't literally film a book, I think you need to kind of get as close to it as possible, because there's things within a book that are that give a story something different than it can really have in a movie. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.